As I listened to that song, uh, it occurred to me that we are singing a form of praise. It is probably in the transliteration. There is no transliteration because it is in the Hebrew, Hosanna. And what it is, it's, it's a way of giving praise to God. It's a deliver now. Give us praise. We, we give you praise for deliverance now. And as I listened, I, I, it occurred to me that the, the, the praise team was doing it, but unless I, I was missing something, I didn't hear a lot of a, a praise coming from us as a community. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Now, some folks are saying, oh, no, Pastor Ali, don't go there. I'm going to go there because I want to encourage you this morning to just spend a few moments, just a few moments, humor, humor me, to give praise to God. If you need a little encouragement, let me just share this piece with you that we serve an incredible God. We don't even have the words in the English language, in any language human beings can come up with, the smartest human beings. We don't have the words to describe accurately how worthy he is of praise and who he is. And to be able to say that, Hosanna, God, we praise you, or hallelujah, hallelujah. It's the very least that we can give to God. So I, when I started out in church, I was very nonverbal because it was like I was just too cool to praise God. And the more I got closer to God and the more I began to live life and, and understand that life is about trying to make it and, and trusting God, the more I was freed up and liberated to be able to just praise him. I didn't care who was around. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. One more time. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. If he's worthy, stand up. If he's worthy. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. There is no God like you. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. He is worthy. He is worthy. There is no God like you. You alone, God. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no God like you. There is none that can compare to you. None that is your equal. None that is created or not. You alone are God. And we trust you. We're depending on you. And I pray that this moment, God, in this time that you've allotted us in history, that, God, you would speak to your people who give you praise precious and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you are a visitor here, I'm not the pastor. Obviously, there's, we have a pastor, my friend and my dear colleague and brother, Pastor Scott, who spoke to you earlier. I'm just one of the other folks that have to be hanging around. <laughs> if you were here last week, we began a new series in the Old Testament. And we went into the book of Jonah. 
The reason we did that is because I talked to Pastor Scott and we were kind of figuring out where we were going to go and he's going to take off for the month of July. And I said, I was thinking about a nice short book that we could work in. And, and I said, what do you think about the book of Jonah? He said, that would be the book that I would pick. I would pick Jonah. It's like, that's a sweet book. It's, it's just, and I said, I kind of like that. I haven't spoken from that book in a while. And I'd like to get into that because there's a lot of stuff. There's all kinds of themes in, in there that's kind of interwoven. And so we, we, we came up with this, this, this theme this, for this series that, that for, for God, the sovereignty. This is a key piece, the sovereignty and salvation of God. Sovereignty and salvation. And, and, and the reason is because all throughout the Jonah, you have to get out of your head that this is a story about a big fish and, and a man that got swallowed. You have to, have to put that aside because I want to go to a place where, where what does this mean for us in, in, in terms of this story? You've, if you've heard me speak before, you know that I'm big on this whole thing of, of narrative kind of thinking in terms of our theology and our understanding of, of where God fits. And I've said to you before that there is this story, this grand story, that, that, that God is doing something. This is this not a happenstance that God just happened to just, we just happened to show up here in the 21st century. That God is actually working something out with humankind. And it started way back in the garden. And God enjoyed a good fellowship with Adam and, and Eve, and, 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 and then something disconnected at one point because God had given them everything that they needed, and, and, and at some point they felt that that was not enough, and so they, they, they took another step forward, and, and stepping forward meant that they would step back from God because they disobeyed God and moved into this area of, of, of doing what they thought they were doing because they saw themselves as Satan would have them. You will be like God if you take of this, partake of the tree. The forbidden fruit. And ever since then, there's been this disconnect. And what God has been doing throughout history is God has been trying to get us back to that place of being in the garden, back to a place where there's fellowship, there's connection, where holy God can be connected with sinful man. All of history since that time has been speaking to God trying to do one thing, and that is redeem human beings. It is the very essence of the theology that we teach and preach. It's everything. And who is he going to do that through? Jesus Christ, of course. He's going to redeem through Jesus Christ, his son. What God effectively did, no one else, a human being, could not have figured it out. It had to be a God that, that, that is all-knowing who said the only way to get... The, a sinful man back into a right relationship with a holy God is the holy God has to kind of come down and, and be with sinful man and be sinful man, 100% God, 100% man, so that man would be able to relate to him and connect with him and be in doing so, being able to be a savior, being able to be a one who would be able to redeem us. We have it woven all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, even in the book of Ruth, the whole thing with Boaz and the kinsman redeemer, the thing that the, the idea that that there needed to be a redeemer. Someone that would cover and protect. God has been working a plan. It's, it, it, and, and you have to you have to some kind of way you have to get it in your head that that's the story that I'm going to connect with, because if you connect with any other story and there are lots of stories out there, you, you, you're prone to connect to the wrong story. 
And the man-centered stories or the humanistic story is a story that says man is the center. This is all there is. You only go around once. You might as well get it while the getting's good, honey. Have as much fun as you can. Get as much as you can. Get all the promotions. Buy all the houses. Get all the cars. Get as much a mess, as much stuff as you can. Go to the best schools. Do everything that you want to do to kind of keep, keep, keep getting and amassing because this is all there is. This is as good as it gets. And the reality is that God says, no, no, my story is something different. My story says that you're part of something bigger. In fact, it has eternal ramifications. Because this is just the beginning of life. And I've given you my son. My son, whose blood was shed. He gave his life so that you would have life and have it more abundantly. He came to redeem you because that was my plan. And from Genesis to Revelation, God is working it all the way through. And so we come across this reluctant prophet named Jonah. Last week we talked about this prophet Jonah and we, we said this, this, this book has some interesting satire in it because you would think that the things that, there are some things that are done that's kind of like, what? You're a prophet, Jonah. God has called you on a task to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was in a place where Assyria, this was Assyrian territory, and the Assyrians at that time were known to be some really bad folks. In fact, the evil God says the evil from this community, the Ninevites, had come up to God. And God says, go and speak to the folks in Nineveh. About a couple thousand miles away. But as Jonah do, he gets the message as a prophet. And a prophet is supposed to say, yes, God, and, and, and go for it. And what does Jonah do? He says, actually, I'm going to buy a ticket to Tarshish and I'm going the other way. He runs from God. And I said to you last time that it's a little weird thing here. I says we can see our stories in some of these interesting stories because I said some of us are running from God and we know it. We're running from God. And it's ridiculous because you can't run from God. You know the rest of the story. Basically, he gets a ticket. I'm saying he gets a ticket. He gets on this boat to Tarshish. And he goes and he kind of gets with these other folks that kind of don't know who he is. And, he, and they, they head out. They're in Joppa. They head out. And in the midst of their journey, a storm comes up. Not just a storm. This is kind of like a, a tsunami kind of storm. This is like a major, major storm. And these sailors are frustrated because it's like, oh, no, we're used to storms, but not like this. What is wrong? And so what they began to do is they began to call on their individual gods because they were pagans. And so they called on their gods because they thought their gods could like, okay, fix our situation because we're getting ready to perish here in a moment. And the person in charge says, wait a minute, where is that stranger that was on the boat? The guy that looked like he was in a hurry. And we don't know what he was running for, but he was in a hurry. Let's go get him. And they find that he's sleeping. They says, wake up, you sleeper. What are you doing? We're getting ready to sink and you're sleeping. At least you should be calling on a God just like we're calling on our God. And we need all the help we can. 
And Jonah kind of in a dilemma now because they've kind of called him out. Confesses to them that he's running from the presence of God. How ridiculous. Running from the presence of God. And he runs from God or thinks he's running from God. And at one point, the, 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 his companions on this boat draw lots. You know, it's like they're, 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 they don't want to be guilty of anything. So in that ancient world, drawing lots meant that you could kind of like just leave it to chance. And if it came out a certain way, that meant that God, that's the way that God intended it. So no human factor would be involved. So they draw lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, ah, you did something here. You did something here. And he confesses and all of that. And he says, well, throw me overboard then and everything will be okay. I'll just get out of your life. Just, just toss me overboard. And so they tossed him overboard. They, they tried to row and try, but it wouldn't help. They were trying to get, get out of the situation. They throw him overboard. And when he's thrown overboard, everything settles down. What's interesting about that first chapter is the people who at first were calling on their individual gods ended up calling on the Lord. And what I took away from that was that God has been orchestrating this whole thing from the very beginning, even to his trip getting on the ship headed for Tarshish. That's the Lord, you can answer it. (laughs) Anybody else, you can't answer. God has been orchestrating this thing. God has been doing something because these folks now have come to God It's interesting to me that God is so concerned about those that don't know him that he goes through these extraordinary lengths. And this says something about the caring God who cares. That was the title of that first piece, God who cares. That he would go through all this to reach out to these folks that don't care about God. And now they worship the true God. In chapter 2. Let's start there. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We pray, God, that you would just open up your word to us. That some kind of way, God, through this narrative about your prophet Jonah, we would understand and see things that perhaps we'd shed some light on our own journey, our own story. In Jesus' name, amen. When we left off, we left off at chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, and I picked up verse 17. And here's verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish, Gadol, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, let me say something about this. I'm not going to get into whether or not, I told you this before, whether how big the fish had to be and all of that kind of stuff, because clearly God is working a miracle here, something beyond most human, our capacity to really grasp sometimes. But there is a reality that there is what people often say was a whale. It was not a whale. It was actually a, a fish. And it was actually what they call a dog fish or dog shark type fish. And these are known to be in the Mediterranean area, uh, Mediterranean Sea in that area over there. Whales did not go in that area. And plus, if it were whale, whale wouldn't be, because of the way their the, the throat is, be too small of an opening for a human being to go through. But if it's a fish, a great fish, this dog fish shark, which is known to be able to have a mouth that is huge. Now, I had a picture of this, and I didn't want to. I said, I told Jeff, pull that picture out. We, we don't need to prove anything here. 
Suffice it to say that he was swallowed because that's what the text says. Uh, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Notice now that he's praying to his God, but he was running from God before. So how is it now he's praying to his God? From the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. That's hell. That's that's the place of the dead. In other words, he's calling from a place where, oh, my gosh, this is this is what death is about. I'm done. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped all around my head, about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I would propose to you that chapter 2 of Jonah is simply a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. That's all it is. You are listening to the words of a man who has found himself running from God, attempting to run from God, and then finding himself in a situation now where the very God he was trying to escape from is the very God that is going to do what? Save him. That's why we've entitled this piece, God Who Saves. One of the things that you want to walk away with today is I want to say that regardless of what you and I go through, regardless of how disobedient we are, regardless of the stuff that we do that we shouldn't do, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, our walk, we have a God who loves us, who cares about us, who is merciful, who is compassionate, and that's the kind of God that we happen to have. And I don't care what it is that you may be struggling with at this time. The reality is that God loves you just as you are. One of the challenges sometimes is that we have this thought in the back of our heads and we picked it up somewhere with all the different philosophies and the different ideas that are out there that God loves me as long as I do what? As long as I do what? Nobody, nobody wants to take that one. As long as I do good, as long as I act right, as long as I'm, I'm being obedient, and if I do everything right, God loves me. If I bring my kids to church, if I, if I pay tithes, if I do serve on the uh, various teams, if I do, God loves me. The reality is that you and I can never do enough for God in terms of what we do. You can't earn anything with God through your, this is what I do for you, God. God doesn't need you to do anything for him. You cannot do, I cannot do anything for God. What God wants us, and I've said it before, is he more, he's more interested in our heart. 
That's what he wants. What are we internally? We don't have to work for anything here. That's why this conversation in terms of redemptive thinking, what God's plan is about redeeming, that's why it's so important to think in terms of God's grace and his mercy. God's grace and his mercy. You can't, you can't do anything better than that. It's all about his grace and his mercy. What is that, Pastor Ali? It means that we can't do anything to earn it. It's simply what it is. He looked at us. He saw our situation. We're alienated from God. We're lost. We're caught in our sin. He said, basically, you can't do anything. You're stuck. You're in the muck. You're in the belly of Gadol, the great fish. You can't do anything. But Jonah calls out, and that's what's key. That's what's key. Now, this is a Thanksgiving A Thanksgiving psalm, and you need to get this in the back of your head. We have to understand this. The fish, Gadol, is not an instrument of God's judgment, but rather of his salvation. This fish is not a judgment call against Jonah. Jonah was saved by the death, saved by death, from death by drowning. Jonah was thrown overboard. If God had not intervened, the same God that brought the storm, if that God had not intervened, Jonah would have drowned and that would have been the end of the story. Number two, Jonah is not complaining, but he's thanking God for delivering him. When the last time you were under distress and duress and you began to praise God and thank God, in the middle of your stress and duress. If you're like me, I want to complain and kick and scream and tell God I don't don't like it and say, why me? I do this, I do this, I do this, see the do. I do this, I do this, do. Why, Why me? What God wants us to do is be a people that even when we come under this duress and stress, be a people that can yet praise him because that's what he wants. Why? Is God so egocentric? No, no, no. Because it's good for us. Because it takes the focus of our circumstances and situation and places a focus back on God. That's what he's looking for. The tendency is for us to focus on ourselves and think, oh, 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 it's me. Oh, 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 I'm, oh, things are real bad with me. Oh, oh. And God is saying, take the focus off you. For some of us, we got into our situation because maybe we were running from God or maybe we were doing something else that we should not have been doing. And now we are dealing with the consequences of that action. And yet, even still, God loves us. And he's ready to redeem us. Hallelujah. How does this fit? Where is this little story? How does this little story contribute to the big story that I mentioned? In other words, where does this story stand in relation to the Christ event? A lot of times interpreters will, when they're looking at passages in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, they'll say, well, where's Jesus in the passage? And, and, And that's not the question. 
The question is not where is Jesus in the passage, but the question is where does this text or where does this passage, how does this connect to the Jesus event, the big story? Because that's what we're after. How does it connect to the big story? Is there a spiritual connection with our stories to this story? And what is it? Well, we already know that it's the, it's the Redeemer, the redemption story. All of us, all of us are connected to that redemption story. Whether you like it or not, you are connected to that redemption story. Whether you're in Christ or not in Christ, you are connected to that redemption story. Why? Because God has already taken initiative. The God who can be apprehended, but the God who cannot be comprehended. We can't figure God out, but he has left a door for us to be able to connect with him. But he pursues us relentlessly because he cares about us. If there's one thing you should just lock into your head and lock it in there, and that is that that God loves you. He cares for you just as you are. You may have gone through some abuses as a kid. You may be struggling in a marriage. You may deal with all kinds of stuff. Maybe you can't keep a job. Maybe you're in a bed. Whatever your situation in life is, God loves you just as you are. I was talking to a friend several years ago who had had three babies aborted. Just She couldn't keep the baby. Every time she got pregnant, the baby would abort. Every time they got real close, they thought they, oh yeah, oh yeah, baby would abort. And there's just this constant gloom and doom. Just this. And so they, would get, they had gotten pregnant one more time, and they were going, if we don't get it this time, and it'd be a few years that passed by, and there was this fear and this dread that this baby was going to be aborted just like the previous babies. And they had done all the tests and, and consulted with all the specialists. And this person was saying that, well, well, we're going to try it again, but we can't guarantee because you have a history of aborting babies. Your body just, for whatever reason, we don't know what's going on there, but there's a history there. And so they tried it again. And she was gone. She got to that first trimester, and everything was looking good. And everything was continuing to look good. And a baby was born. And she didn't abort the baby. The baby was healthy. Go figure. And she was kind of frustrated because why, why, why did I have to go through all of that? Because it taught her something. See, God always has something going on beyond the immediate situation. Please hear this. He always has something much, much more involved in the immediate situation that you're going through. Sometimes we want to focus on the immediate situation, but God is often working something way beyond that situation. And what he was doing with my friend was teaching her a very valuable lesson about trusting him, waiting on him in his time. Not when they want to have a baby, but when God says, now is the time. Does that make sense? Being able to trust him and wait on him. David Crowder, one of my favorite bands, the David Crowder band that that, uh, we sang, had that song last week, I think, How He Loves 
I love that song. Man, that song will cheer me up in a minute. But I like this one part of it that's so powerful to me. It speaks volumes in my own story, my own experience when we talk about redemption. And we are his portion, and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If this grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. And my heart turns violently inside my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us. Oh, how he loves us in spite of us. Even in the, in the midst of stuff, he's, he's drawing something, the redemptive piece. He's always looking to redeem us in the process of life. Charles H. Spurgeon, that famous preacher, comment, commented in one of his commentaries, most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall never truly receive them. Now, some of you are going, oh, boy, that, that's pretty, it's pretty negative, pretty bad, Pastor Ali. I didn't say it. And then, if you don't believe Spurgeon, what about what the Scripture says? The psalmist says, 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. There's something about when we go through affliction, when we go through challenges, there's something about it, it, it hones us. Adversity is not always the punitive thing. Sometimes God is working something out spiritually in us to bring us to a place where we will be what he wants us to be, the people of God that he has called us to be. And that's not easy sometimes. It's just not. So what does it all mean for Jonah? Let's, let's walk through the passage a little bit again. Keep in mind, this is, this is, this is prose, and so this is a, a, a prayer that Jonah is, 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 is dealing with. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Have you ever cried out to God? Really cried out to God? really pleaded with God because you didn't know which way you were going to go, what was going to happen. You were upside down. You were topsy-turvy. I've been there. It's not fun. I remember talking to a friend one time and I said I felt like I was free-falling. I've never been in a parachute out of a plane, but I can only imagine what that must feel like, that uncertainty of just falling and not knowing that at some point you're going to impact. And just not, you know, the scary part of that whole thing. That's what I felt. I felt like any moment now, I don't, I don't know where, which way, one way I'm up, one way I'm down, I'm sideways, I'm up. I don't know, I'm just all around. All around, Mary, I don't know. You ever been there before? Where you just kind of just going around and around, you don't know what. And sometimes the only thing you have is to be able to cry out to God. So God, have mercy. Now, 
You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And all the waves, your waves, your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. I'm I'm out of your presence. Well, wait a minute. Earlier you were fleeing fleeing his presence. And now, yeah, now you're, you're having to deal with the reality of your decision. And yet again, I shall look. So he's got this eye of faith. He's anticipating. And so what this is, let me just give you the quick, quick response here. What this is, is he is already anticipating deliverance. Jonah is already anticipating that God is going to deliver him. Imagine this. This is a stretch on imagination because none of us have been inside of a well. But imagine yourself being inside of a big old huge well and you're sitting inside his gut. Pastor Ali, I'm having trouble with that one. I'm, I'm having a trouble with it too because I couldn't see myself. I mean, the smells, just, if you just take the category smell, what it must be like. You're covered in seaweed and whatever else is in a whale's a shark's stomach. I said whale's shark. Whatever's in this fish's stomach, you're part of that. That has become part of you now. And you're struggling for survival. You got to breathe. How's that happening? That's the miracle of this thing. God kept him alive. Because I'm thinking methane, gas, gas for, I'm thinking all kinds of stuff in there that would kill you. Slime, all kinds of stuff. I mean, would digest st- whatever this shark was eating. You now have become an integral part of that digestive process. And in the midst of that, he has an opportunity to do what? To cry out to God. I would imagine there were times when he was probably unconscious and then he came back to himself and said, oh, where was I? Because throughout this, this particular prayer, he's actually quoting Psalms. There are several pieces in there where he's actually quoting from the psalmist. So here's a prophet who knows the Psalms and he's actually calling on God. And he says, God, this is, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm upside down. I'm upside down all around, all over the place. I'm covered in stuff. But he has a positive anticipation that God is going to deliver him. Here's the transition. When my life was fainting away, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. The psalmist in the 73rd Psalm says something similar. When he had considered the prosperity of the wicked, and he goes through this whole description of what the wicked are like and all this stuff and he's kind of bemoaning the fact that here they seem to be prospering and and here he is uh, loving God and all this and yet he's going through all these difficulties and struggles and, and challenges and then it says until I came into the house the sanctuary of the Lord then I saw their end Read that psalm sometimes when you get a chance Psalm 73 it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rude awakening you know, kind of like whoa wow I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard with vain idols. The, the, the sailors that were on that boat with him were those that were worshiping idols. And yet, those, interesting enough, those people turned to the Jehovah, Yahweh, before their experience was all over. But with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to God. I want to... I just pass on a couple things here before we wrap this up because I think 
I think you have to frame this right. What does all this mean for Jonah? I mean, I got five things here. Uh, I don't think you have a slide for this one. Uh, Jonah's experience in the great fish accomplished these things. It saved Jonah from drowning. It motivated Jonah to do what? Submit to God. It taught Jonah that you can't run from God. And in a way, you could say it authenticated the message that he was later to give to Nineveh. Because can you imagine when he showed up what he must have looked like? I got the message now for you guys. I had to go by way of Fish University, but I am here. <laughs> so, so there was probably some authentication of that message. And then lastly, it foreshadowed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because this is the, this is the book that Jesus mentions in the book of Matthew. What does all this mean for us? It's part you've probably been waiting for. What is all this? How does this fit our story? Listen to me carefully here. Even when we fail in our obedience to God and reap the consequences thereof, we need only to call out to him and be assured that we will receive mercy and be redeemed because salvation belongs to to the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 39 to 41, and even an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. We used this one before, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What is that sign? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who's greater than Jonah? Jesus Christ. He came and gave his life so that we would be able to live and thereby redeeming us. That's all I have for this morning. I want to encourage you, though, with this. When you go through whatever you're going to go through, the praise team, you start coming up. When you go through whatever you're going through, and it's not a matter of if you go through, it's when. Because all of us will go through something sooner or later. Somebody will come to you sooner or later with something. And you need to encourage them that God is a merciful and compassionate God. And you need to get into that whole dialogue about where are you in terms of redemption, in terms of your own life story, in terms of your own salvation? That's key. That's very, very key. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for uh, just this moment that we have, just to uh, delve a little bit into this, this next journey with Jonah. We ask that you would bless it now, your word in Jesus' name. Amen.